Welcome back to Fresh Off the Bench. I am your co-host, Izzy Sai. I am once again hosting by myself because Sky and Mackis have decided to leave me by myself. No, I'm just kidding. Mackis and Sky are currently really busy right now. Mackis is playing college football at Dean College, and Sky is currently fighting for our country in the military right now. I alluded to this last week. I'm just going to hold it down again for today. Hopefully, we can get them back on the show soon, and Fresh Off the Bench can be at full strength once again. But there is a lot of stuff to talk about. There's some big NBA news to get into. College football week one happened yesterday. A lot of great games that we can talk about there. But let's start in the NBA with the biggest news of the week, arguably of the offseason, with Donovan Mitchell becoming a member of the Cleveland Cavaliers. The Cavs sending Laurie Markkinen, Ochai Abaji, Colin Sexton, and three unprotected first-round picks to the Utah Jazz for Donovan Mitchell. And this really came out of left field because a week and a half ago, it was reported that the Cavs were out of the Donovan Mitchell sweepstakes. They were interested initially, but they heard of the Jazz's asking price and they balked. So they decided not to go after Mitchell. But that all changed when the New York Knicks decided to sign R.J. Bear to a four year extension because the Cavs were assuming before that Mitchell would end up on the New York Knicks. But when they got wind of the Knicks being out of it because they got they signed RJ, that's when they pivoted back to Utah and decided to continue trade talks for Donovan Mitchell. And within less than 48 hours, they were able to get Mitchell. By Thursday afternoon, the deal was complete. And now Mitchell's a Cleveland Cavalier. And, I mean, just wow. I mean, as a Cavs fan, obviously I'm really, really excited. I mean, getting Donovan Mitchell is exactly what this team needed. Last season, there were a lot of stretches where the offense would be stagnant because Darius Garland was the only consistent offensive player the Cavs had down the stretch. Yes, you had Karis LeVert, but he was really up and down. Evan Mobley, he's a rookie. His offensive game isn't really refined yet, so he wasn't really a consistent offensive option. Jared Allen, he was injured. He injured his finger, but he was able to come back in the playing game. But he he's not really known to be an offensive force. Kevin Love was up and down as well. He was runner-up for the sixth man of the year, but he's a lot older now, so you can't really rely on him to have consistent offensive production. This team really needed a consistent all-star level, three-level score, and that is exactly what Donovan Mitchell brings, averaging over 25 points per game over the last few years. He's a great fit with Garland in the backcourt because Garland's playmaking is at an elite level right now, and Mitchell, last year, you can even see that he needs another guard that he can play off of, a guard that's an elite playmaker. And Mike Conley is just not that guy anymore in Utah. So that's why there were stretches last year where the Jazz offense even struggled as well. But when you pair Mitchell with a dynamic playmaker like Darius Garland, that can really do wonders for the Cavs offense. And they already have a great defense. They already have 
Mobley and Allen are two of the best rim protectors in the NBA. Isaac Okora is a great perimeter defender. Yes, they lose Markinen, who was actually a pretty good defender for them last year when they used that three-big lineup. But nonetheless, the Cavs still have the defensive personnel to succeed. And those worries about Garland and Mitchell fitting in defensively, yes, they won't be the best defenders in the world, but good luck trying to finish at the rim against Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. So, I mean, it's really it's really a great trade-off for the Cavs here. I mean, they didn't have to give up any of their young core. Garland stays, Mobley stays, Allen stays. Mitchell's under contract for another three years. So this team has about a three- to four-year window, depending on a Mitchell extension, because Garland signed his extension this past offseason. Allen's under contract for another four years. Mobley's under team control for another two to three years, but he'll he'll be eligible to sign an extension in two off-seasons. Um, so this team has a has a large window to start competing and start competing for titles. Uh, they're an instant contender in the Eastern Conference already. Uh, I think the ceiling for them this season, probably the second round, they could make the conference finals if everything goes right, if they get some favorable matchups. But I would say realistically, second round is probably their ceiling for this season. And that is completely fine for a team that won 19 games three years ago. So that would be the step in the right direction. Colby Altman, hats off to him. He's done a great job with this rebuild. There were times where things were a little shaky, but getting Jared Allen uh, last year and then drafting Evan Mobley with the early draft pick, Garland taking a step and getting Karis LeVert and then now getting Donovan Mitchell. The rebuild is now finally complete. I mean, you could say it was complete last year after the Cavs improved by 22 games and made the play-in where they lost to the Atlanta Hawks. But now that they got an all-star and now that you can say the Cavs are a contender in the East, the rebuild is complete. It was a long few years since LeBron left for another time, but the Cavs are ready to compete now. And the Eastern Conference just got a whole lot scarier and a whole lot more competitive because you still have Boston, you still have Milwaukee, you have Philly, you have Brooklyn. Now you have the Cavs in the mix. You have Miami as well. So, I mean, these are these are tough, tough teams. This is going to be a tough, tough Eastern Conference, one of the tougher ones in recent memory. And that narrative that the East is weak is not really a thing anymore. But getting Mitchell, probably one of the biggest news of the offseason, uh, and the Cavs are, re- are ready to make some noise this year with their new acquisition. But I just want to talk about one team that everybody keeps bringing up when we talk about Mitchell to the Cavs and they dub this team as the biggest losers and it's the New York Knicks. And I just want to say that to all my Knicks fans out there, to all my basketball aficionados that are lamenting the Knicks for not getting Donovan Mitchell. I just want to say to all of you that you're wrong. You're wrong. And the reason is, the Knicks made the right – I think the Knicks made the right decision by not trying to get Donovan Mitchell, and here's why. Look, I'm a Cavs fan. I'm glad we got Donovan Mitchell, but I'm just going to I'm just gonna straight up say I'm not being biased at all, but I really do think the Knicks made the right move here because their initial offer to the Utah Jazz, and after – there were a lot of conflicting reports about this. Uh, initially, the Knicks didn't want to give up RJ, but then – they offered the Jazz, R.J. Barrett, Mitchell Robinson, Obi Toppin, and three first-round picks, two of them unprotected, one of them top five protected. Uh, I don't really think that was a smart trade offer on the Knicks' part because I don't think giving up R.J. Barrett for Donovan Mitchell is really worth it. In addition to Toppin, who has a lot of untapped potential, Robinson, he's a good young player too. I don't really think that the Knicks should be team to give him up. But, look, 
let's just say the Knicks do the trade, right? You have the Brunson and Donovan Mitchell backcourt. Great. Boom. Perfect. But what about the rest of your roster? You're going to start what? It's going to start Evan Fournier. Julius Randle hasn't, hasn't really progressed since he had that amazing year. He was awful last year, and he's wildly overpaid. Same thing with Evan Fournier. Uh, yeah, I guess you still have Derrick Rose. You still have Quentin Grimes, Miles McBride, Jericho Sims. But adding Mitchell and subtracting R.J. Toppin and Robinson, the Knicks are not even a play-in team with that roster. I mean, point blank, period. The Knicks are going to be awful with that roster still. So, I mean, and even 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 not getting Mitchell and keeping R.J., the Knicks are still going to be completely mid. But by doing that trade, you're crippling your franchise not only right now, but you're crippling them for the future by giving up those draft picks. So I think Knicks management actually did the smart thing here by holding on to their draft picks, holding on to RJ, signing into that extension because he has a lot of untapped potential. He really showed that last year when he became their number one offensive option. But giving him up and along with all that capital and those uh, and Toppin and Robinson is really not worth it for the Knicks because getting Mitchell while giving up all of that does not make you a contender in the East. The Cavs, it's different. Like, they're ready to win right now. The Knicks are not ready to win right now as presently constructed. They have a lot of holes on the roster that they need to fill, uh, including defensively. They don't have the best defensive personnel in the world, so they need to tighten that up a bit before they go after that superstar. If they already had, like, let's say a KD or a Kyrie by now or something like that, and then you want to give up RJ to get Donovan Mitchell, that would make so much sense. But as of right now, a roster that's already not ready to compete right now as presently constructed and then giving up your best young players for Donovan Mitchell and two unprotected first-round picks, it makes no sense. I think Knicks management did the right thing here. I think that they did the right thing with holding on the Donovan Mitchell trade they can try and get another superstar. Like I, I heard that they could try and get Shake Goats Alexander from OKC. I don't know how realistic that is. Maybe Dame in Portland doesn't doesn't pan out. Maybe they could try and go after Dame. Uh, I don't know how that would work with Brunson in the backcourt, but I'm, I mean, it's Dame. Knicks want a superstar. But I know Nick fans are really upset that they didn't get that superstar that they really wanted. Well, not John Mitchell, not Soup. He's a star, but that star that they've been craving for a long, long time. But again, I think it was the right move not getting Mitchell because you would cripple your team now and in the future. So the Knicks should wait, see how the team does this year, and then reevaluate and try to get another star next offseason if they have the cap space. So. Knicks fans and all all to all my people out there that are lamenting the Knicks for this move, let's just let's lay off them a little bit. They made the right decision here. So. That's just my two cents on the NBA news that's been going down. Uh, I'm going to take a short break and then I will come back with some college football talk. Week one happened this past weekend and there's a lot to get into. This is Fresh Off the Bench. Welcome back to Fresh Off the Bench. And as I'm about to get into a recap of college football week one, LSU and Florida State went final. Florida State coming away with a one-point victory. LSU went 99 yards in a minute 20 to try and tie the football game. They were down one. They needed a game-tying extra point to get, send this game to overtime. The PAT was blocked. So 
Florida State escapes with the win. Huge victory. LSU was down two touchdowns at one point. Hats off to them for trying to come back. But, I mean, wow, what a crazy finish to a crazy game. But let's get into the meat of college football this weekend. Let's start in Columbus with the Ohio State Buckeyes taking on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. And the Buckeyes really got off to a slow start. They only scored one touchdown in the first half, and they were down 10-7 to at halftime. Notre Dame's defense came in with the perfect game plan, neutralized the receivers on the Ohio State offense, make it tough for C.J. Stroud, send some pressure, make him uncomfortable, and it worked for a half. But that's when Ohio State flipped the switch in the second half, their defense pitching a shutout, and the run game really coming alive. Travion Henderson had 15 carries for 91 yards. Mayan Williams had 14 carries, 84 yards. Both of them averaged six yards a carry. Ohio State had 172 yards rushing, average five yards a carry as a team. However, the big news is Jackson Smith and Jigba, the best receiver in college football, and Ohio State's best offensive player, arguably, was injured from the first quarter onwards. He did not really play that much in this game. He only had two catches for three yards. But that didn't matter because Ohio State was able to play and win and get the win. But what's really interesting is that Ohio State they won this game by being physical and controlling the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball in the, in the second half. They were able to run the ball late. They milked seven minutes of the, of the fourth quarter by going 14 plays, 95 yards, seven minutes and six seconds, ending with a two-yard run by Mayan Williams. They ran the ball that drive. Stroud was able to extend some plays with his legs and throw some incredible sideline passes. I mean, just wow. Like he was really threading the needle, showing why, showing America why he's the best quarterback in college football. I mean, Jim Knowles, the new defensive coordinator for the Ohio State Buckeyes, I mean, he did a really good job with the defense as well. They pitched a shutout in the second half. And I mean, a game like this last year, Ohio State probably loses the offense, not putting points on the board. And their defense last year was absolutely horrendous. So Notre Dame probably would have had a lot of success if this was last year's defense. But Knowles did a great job disguising coverages, disguising blitzes. He did a great job. Tommy Eichenberg, captain of the defense, took a step this game. Two sacks, two tackles for loss. Uh, I mean, if this is a sign of things to, to come for the Buckeyes, the rest of the country should be scared because if they can play defense like this week in and week out, and if their offense can figure it out and get back to form, this is the best team in America by far. And they showed that against Notre Dame that they can win an ugly physical football game, and they were able to do that. This past Saturday, as for the Fighting Irish, gets a little easier coming up. They got Marshall, California, North Carolina. Uh, they don't play a ranked opponent for the rest of the month, but you know they showed some fight. And Marcus Freeman in his first year could have some success at Notre Dame. So the other big game on the docket was really a dud compared to this one: uh, Georgia and Oregon uh, Chick Fil A kickoff. Georgia, defending national champions, showed why they are champions, dismantling Oregon. 49-3. to three. I mean, it was just a really, really bad game. Bad debut for Oregon QB. Uh, Bo Nix coming in from Auburn. He did not have a great game. 21-37, of 173 yards, two picks. He was not good at all. They couldn't get anything going on the ground as well. Uh, Georgia really had them bottled up. I mean, Georgia, what's really amazing is that this team lost 15 players to the NFL draft, and they're st still able to dominate teams like this. Hats off to Kirby Smart, the head coach doing a great job recruiting, doing a great job preparing his guys. Uh, you know, they. I mean, this team is just loaded once again. Stetson Bennett threw for a career high, 368 yards in what seems to be his 10th year in college football. But, I mean, hey, the guy was balling out. Uh, Kenny McIntosh, 
nine catches, 117 yards for them. Brock Bowers, yeah, Brock Bowers had a pretty good game as well. Uh, Darnell Washington, they showed America why they are the best tight end room in America, making some incredible plays, including Darnell Washington. He's 6'7", 270 pounds, and he was hurtling a dude for a 25-yard gain. I mean, that was just an incredible play to watch. But Georgia, once again, showing the heart of a champion, showing that they are still dangerous. Their schedule is really lightening up as well. They got Sanford, South Carolina, Kent State, Missouri, Auburn, Vanderbilt, and then obviously the big rivalry game with Florida on October 29th. But this is a really light schedule for them. Don't, I I think that they probably will win the SEC again. Um, I th- I think that they're, they are – actually, I wouldn't say they will win the SEC again because Alabama is still, you know, still one of the better teams. But I think Georgia will get back to the college football playoff with Alabama probably being their only loss. Or they could really go undefeated if their defense plays the way that they did against Oregon. So, I mean, Georgia here to stay dominant week one win now one of the crazier games on the schedule unc and appalachian state appalachian state scored 40 points in the fourth quarter and they still lost 63 to 61 Uh, unc really almost blew this game but it was an offensive show drake may for the tar heels he had he went 24 35 352 yards four touchdowns also had a touchdown on the ground um chase bryce for appalachian state he had 361 yards passing, six touchdowns. I mean, he was incredible uh, and almost led a big, big comeback for Appalachian State. They were down 20 heading into the fourth quarter, and they were able they were able to get within two at one point. Uh, they couldn't get the tying two-point conversion, uh, so that's why UNC was able to come away with the win. But this is one of the crazier games on the schedule. I mean, it was just a really, really entertaining game to watch. Uh, elsewhere on the AP ranked top 25, uh, Michigan dismantling Colorado State 51-7. Cade McNamara getting the start for Michigan. They are still in the midst of their quarterback competition. J.J. McCarthy, who is competing with Cade McNamara for the starting job, will start Michigan's next game against Hawaii. Uh, elsewhere, Texas A&M pitching a shutout against Sam Houston State 31-0. A&M looked, looked shaky at times, but they were able to get it done. They were able to just, I mean, use their sheer power and dominance and, you know, took advantage of a weak FCS team. Uh, Iowa beat South Dakota State without scoring a touchdown, uh, 7-3. to three. They had a pair of safeties from their defense and a field goal. That's how they got to seven points. They didn't even score a touchdown. Uh, I mean, they got to really fix that offense in Iowa because once it gets a Big, t- big Ten play, it's not going to be – they're not going to have that same luxury of not scoring a touchdown in the main games. So – they really need to tight up, tighten up that offense, but that defense looks really, really scary. Um, Arkansas and Cincinnati. Cincinnati making the college football playoff last year. Uh, lost a lot of talent from the NFL. Not really expected to make much noise this year. They lost by seven to Arkansas. K.J. Jefferson had a big game for Arkansas. He had 223 yards passing, three passing touchdowns, and one on the ground as well. Um Elsewhere, Ole Miss getting the win over Troy. Uh, Lane Kiffin's team looking great. Jackson, Jackson Dart, the new starting quarterback, replacing Matt Corral. He looked good, 18-27, 154 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, he also showed some big ability with his legs. at had a 36-yard run in this game as well. Ole Miss gets the win, 28-10. to And lastly, USC. All that hype this offseason with Lincoln Riley heading to them to be their head coach. Caleb Williams, new quarterback, he went 19 of 22, 249 yards, two touchdowns. He also showed some ability with his legs, six carries, 68 yards. He had a long run of 28 yards, 
Uh, and Jordan Addison, the big-name transfer receiver that USC got, he had both touchdowns from Caleb Williams. He had five catches, 54 yards. USC looking explosive on the offensive side of the ball. Um, so, yeah, it was a great week of college football. It's great to have college football back on TV on Saturdays. I mean, it's just really, really, you know, it's really good to have football back on both levels with the NFL starting in about four days. So get ready for that. Um, so I just want to get into my college football playoff picks. I'm going to do this on a weekly basis, and I'll even do them with Mackis and Sky when they come back. Uh, just the four teams that I think will be in the playoff after each week because it changes from week to week. You could have a top team fall. Uh, you know, we can have a team come out of nowhere by the end of the season. So I'm just going to do this every week. Uh, as of right now, my top four, uh, Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, and USC. Uh, I think that those are the four best teams in America. Uh, I know USC is a little lower right now in the rankings. They're number 14, but I think they could run the table, go undefeated, win the Pac-12. And if I, I think if they do that, it's going to be hard not to put them in the playoff, uh, especially with Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams there. I mean, if they if they continue on this trajectory, uh, I think USC can be that fourth team, especially with Utah losing to Florida as well on Saturday. I forgot to mention that. Um, Cam Rising throwing a pick at the goal line with about 10 seconds left in the ballgame. I mean, it was just a heartbreaking pick. Uh, Anthony Richardson looked great for Florida at three rushing touchdowns. Uh, but, yeah, now with Utah losing, I mean, Pac-12 is wide open once again, and I think USC can sneak in and get that Pac-12 college football playoff. So that's my top four for this week. Again, it could change next week if one of these teams loses. So just going to do it on a weekly basis to keep it fresh. But that will do it for this week's edition of Fresh Off the Bench. NFL kickoff is in four days, ladies and gentlemen, so get ready for that. Uh, so I'm going to sign off for now. Uh, hope everyone has a great week. Thank you for tuning in, and this is Fresh Off the Bench.